full name. Do you know what my name actually is? You've told me once, but I don't remember. Yeah, so my given name is Akash. Oh, I love it. Right, which means sky in Hindi. My middle name is Charles, which, which is my... Which means Chuck in Hindi. <laughs> it means king, honestly. No, it was my... Oh, it, yes! That was my... Uh, that He's was a my freaking Nor sky king? Are you my, serious? That's, that's my Norwegian grandfather's name. No! It translates yeah. into freaking sky king. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that is amazing. So that is the greatest thing ever, and um, <laughs> that's awesome. I'm so Michael that, Carl, which that, means junk food. Um, <laughs> it means white guy from Ohio. And junk food. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Rednecks and uh, corn fed. I think are how you pronounce that. So there's. I don't want to <laughs> waste all of our time, but the the reason I have that name. It's a there's long, no complicated waste. This story. There's no I waste. I don't have to get into it. But my, my older brother, my father, was previously married. My, my older brother was from that marriage. His first wife died when my brother was an infant. Mm. My parents met and married. My brother was adopted by my mom, but he, he's full Indian, my older brother. And he mm. came with a Hindi name. So his given name is Sagar, even though we never call him that. We all have mm. nicknames. Sagar means ocean. So mm. when I was born, my mom didn't want to give me an English name and make her adopted older son feel awkward. So she gave me a Hindi name, totally. calls me Akash, nicknamed Sky. So we have ocean and sky. Right. Oh my Lord. And then my younger brother's born and my mom is like, okay, enough with the Hindi names. We've covered it. She named him Peter. So we had ocean wow. sky and rock. That was kind of the, the name oh, system funny. in our family. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I mean, just as good as earth, wind and fire. Let's just that's be right. honest. That could be <laughs> absolutely a bad name. I, I, I kind of, maybe I intuited something about this from my upbringing, but I named my kids Zoe, Isaac and Lucy, which means life laughter and light so come on. we come have the on. alliterated thing too come so. on my goodness oh lord we just tried to figure out something that would go with eerie you know I mean, that was just a tough you know that was a tough thing um so obviously we heard with my friend sky jatani and um sky welcome back we love you we adore you we love what you're doing with the holy post and uh, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and you just have a new book on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and is, it, is it true that you were inspired to write this book because of the series that we've been doing for three weeks? Or yes. did potentially you have that book planned out ahead of time? Well, this gets into the foreknowledge, predestination. <laughs> it's a big can of worms. Uh, but yeah, I, I believe time is very fluid, and, and yes. cause and effect is, is not always linear. <laughs> So, yeah, why not say that your series on the Sermon on the Mount has inspired somehow retroactively me to write this book. But all that to say, I am delighted to be back with you. And, and Vox is absolutely one of the best shows out there. And the stuff you've been doing on the Sermon on the Mount has, has been brilliant. And I love the fact that you're using it to intersect with our current political environment Come and on. climate. So well done. No, Sky, I, I will refuse to take a compliment from a man who had just published a book on the Sermon on the Mount that includes very profound doodles. And, um, and, and if you've seen Sky, so Sky has this devotional, um, daily devotional he's been doing for how many years now? Is it four or five? Uh, six. I started in the, 24, August of 2014 is oh when it started. Goodness. I think I remember getting an email saying you were doing this devotional. And, um, and you do these really cool sort of, uh, you call them doodles, right? I mean, they're, yeah. they're just illustrations or whatever, and they're super profound. It's really amazing. So um, tell us just a little, you, you subtitled or you titled the book, What If Jesus Were Serious? Um, or What If Jesus Was Serious? Which is yeah. the better? Was Serious? Yeah, yeah, I get the English conjugation right. <sighs> Man, that's the story of my whole life. You don't even know. <laughs> Um, all right. What if Jesus was serious? Why did you title it that? Um, I did a class and this was in the, this is in the introduction of the book. I did a class years ago at my church on the Sermon on the Mount. And the first day of the class, we read through Matthew five, six, and seven out loud. And then I asked the question of the class, do you think Jesus was serious? Did he actually expect us to do this? And I mm. was kind of shocked when this room full of lifelong evangelical believers said no <laughs> they didn't think he was serious so that experience kind of seared into my mind as a pastor and so years later when i ended up doing this 
series in the devotional on the Sermon on the Mount, I, I used that in one of the opening mm. days of the devotional. And then when it came time to pull the book together, um, I, I think that it also gets to kind of the core problem I think we're facing as a church in North America that Come we on, baby. just don't take Jesus seriously. And yeah. Um, I think a lot, not all, but a lot of the criticism that we as Christians are facing in our culture isn't because we're out of step with cultural values because we've followed Jesus. But I think it's because the culture sees us as not taking Jesus seriously. And it's the hypocrisy um, thing that comes at us. So that all of that kind of came together. And the publisher didn't want to use that title. And they had recommended a bunch of others. And I said, okay, well, why don't we put it to the people? And I we put it. up a, a poll on Twitter with, I think, three or four different title ideas, the ones from the publisher, and then What If Jesus Was Serious. And by far, the one that people said was the best title is What If Jesus Was Serious. So that kind of put it in for the publisher to finally agree with me I on confess that. to voting on that poll, and, um, and I'm glad to hear that that's the title that went out. <laughs> because... Are you saying you voted for a different title? <laughs> no, no, no. I voted for that one. Oh, yeah. I voted for that one. Absolutely. Because it's precisely, I mean, when, I mean, I've heard really reputable, like wise scholars just argue this thing exists solely to show us our need for Jesus. Right. Even though Jesus ends it by saying, please put these words of mine into practice. That for me is what really seals the deal. <laughs> right. <laughs> it really, it's that parable at the end of the wise and foolish totally, builder. Totally. Uh, and, and the fact that they wouldn't have heard his original audience would not have heard this as uh, for some other era. This was, this is what rabbis did. They taught you how to live. And uh, it just uh, it it, uh, it makes me cringe at some of the moves we've made, but but I highly recommend the book. Um, any specifics as to where you'd like that picked picked up um, as opposed to any other place? Is it on your website? Is it best to get it on Amazon? No, yeah, it's not on my website. Uh, I'm sure Moody would love for people to get it at their website, the Moody Publishers website. I don't mm. even know what the URL is, but you a can lot buy of us frequent that one. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually a little bit cheaper to buy it direct from Moody. Okay. Uh, I don't know what the shipping costs are, but Amazon's always helpful. But honestly, if you guys want to support the book and help me out, leave a review on Amazon yeah. because that helps the algorithm and then it gets more seen and things like Sweet that. So wherever yeah. you may have bought it, that's great. Just appreciate the support. Go leave a review on Amazon. <laughs> yes. I haven't read it and I've written three reviews. And so it's, that's uh, a true it's, supporter right there. That, exactly. There is no verified purchase <laughs> under corn fed white redneck. Um, Oh, four <laughs> username. So, um, I'm just saying, look out for that. And maybe it's me. I'm not, I'm not saying if it is or not. We wanted to bring sky on because, um, it has been noticeably, um, it has been a, a major and noticeable factor in our uh, discussions around COVID and things that are happening. Uh, there are these videos that will come and swoop through the interwebs um, of doctors testifying in front of uh, Capitol Hill um, and saying that we've been duped or that um, that Bill Gates is really an evil genius and he is about ready to microchip us all, the bastard. And um, and, and so we, we're I'm seeing it in ways maybe I've never seen it before that, that there are these conspiracy theories floating around. Um, and it's not just that I'm surprised that they're out there because obviously they've been out there since JFK and 9-11 and all those sorts of things. But what's striking is how many Jesus followers um, seem to not only fall for them, but sort of promote them. And, uh, and there's one in particular that I'm just learning about that you guys did an episode on that I, we wanted to talk to Sky about. And that was this, uh, this organization QAnon, which isn't an organization, right? It's an individual. Can you sort of give us the 101 intro to QAnon, what it is, where it started? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit amorphous and it's hard to get your hands around, but the, the best source I would recommend if you really want to dive in and understand it is an article that was done, a cover story in The Atlantic. Mm -hmm. And uh, you could just go on their website and search QAnon, you'll find it. So QAnon stands for Q Anonymous. And it's 
an individual apparently, although it may be a group of individuals who have used dark corners of the web where there's no way of tracing identity to push out these conspiracy theories. And a lot of it really took off in 2016 during the election. And if people recall, I think it was called Pizza Gate was the kind of mm -hmm. scandal name. Mm -hmm. There was a story that floated out there that there was a pizza, sh a pizza restaurant in Washington, D.C., that the basement of which was being used as a, a child sex trafficking hub. And it was run by the Clintons and other Democratic right. operatives. And this started going out through QAnon, and it, it motivated a, a very zealous, righteous person to go into this pizza restaurant with guns blazing to free these children that were being abducted and, and sex trafficked by the Democrats. Of course, there was no sex trafficking ring. The, the restaurant didn't even have a basement. And <laughs> this person was... Pee-wee's big adventure when he goes to try to find his bike and gets right. in the basement of the Alamo and he gets to know there's no basement in the Alamo. Right. Uh, but it just showed the power of these conspiracy theories. And, um, and but even though that proved to be false, it was, you know, the thing with the conspiracy theory is the moment you point out something that's untrue about it or, or evidence, people will, yeah. they can't live with the cognitive dissonance. And so they concoct a way of explaining away the lack of evidence, whatever it's, but this has just proliferated and grown. And one of the core tenets of QAnon is that Donald Trump is actually a genius and mm -hmm. he is a, mm -hmm. a brilliant genius. And all the craziness that you see in his tweets or some of his behavior or things he says is yeah. all secret messaging to this underground movement. And it's all against the deep state. And he's sort of the great savior who's going to rescue America and the world from this underground conspiracy to take over the world mm -hmm. through the deep state and on. And on. So and it's media. a way like when, yeah. when, when he tweets the word Kofefe, which makes no sense. It was, he probably butt tweeted <laughs> by accident or, or, you know, just accidentally put these letters in and sent it and didn't realize it rather than the explanation of it was an error. Right. No, no, no. It's a secret code. Right. right. So everything has this, yeah, this air about it. And QAnon has latched on to basically every cultural and political phenomenon to explain COVID, to explain Donald Trump, to explain everything out there as some grand conspiracy. And um, yeah, and it's turned into an industry of sorts. Like there's money being made now yeah. from this whole subculture of QAnon yeah. and it, and it self-perpetuates. Yeah. So there are now people who are incentivized to keep this going because so many have bought into it and there's books and there's videos and there's mm -hmm. merchandise and there's like merchandise anything else in America, it, yes. like anything else in America, it becomes a brand and an identity yeah. and a moneymaker. So now so, it's, 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 it's a religion unto itself. Yes. Yes. That was a, a big point of the, uh, Atlantic article. Um, so, so Q is claims to be a person, an individual who has some sort of deep access into the inner workings of this elite organization that's kind of running the world. And uh, Donald Trump and 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 his band of uh, patriots, underground patriots, are warring against this sort of deep state cabal that ex that does you know sex trafficking, whatever else. Yes, then he's dropping hints, and Q evidently is interpreting these hints and dropping some himself to or herself uh, to the followers who then piece together sort of this overall narrative. Is that the is that the way you see it working? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's the details, and it, it changes day to day based on what's happening in the news. But it doesn't tackle the bigger. Uh, it doesn't explain why this is so attractive to so many people, and mm -hmm. especially white evangelicals who really buy into this in, in disproportionate numbers. So we can get into that too. Oh, we will. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I just, I, you know, when, when I, I just didn't know anything about it, I'd heard it vaguely referenced and whenever, you know, I've had a field day on social media, muting, blocking anybody who's just going crazy with pandemic and, you know, here's the secret recipe for COVID cure that's being held from us. And, um, you know, Fauci's the Antichrist or whatever. Um, and, uh, but I never understood sort of the interrelated working of how all this gets cobbled together into, oh yeah, COVID was a plan 
to um, disrupt the elections and unseat Trump. And it was just, I, I just, I've only seen the individual pieces. I never saw someone try to put it, put the whole thing together in sort of a, a unified narrative. Yeah. And uh, despite, that's what they're trying to do. But anybody who studies it for even a little bit of time, it's, there's so many pieces they're trying to fit into one narrative. It doesn't mm-hmm. even itself make coherent sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and Q over the last couple of years has made different predictions about things that were supposed to happen. Like Hillary Clinton was supposed to get arrested and put in jail. That was yeah, like, that was one of the big ones. That was the first the big thing. prediction. Yeah. Right. And obviously that has not happened. So when Q makes these kinds of predictions and they don't end up coming true, then they have to go backtrack and, and backfill. Well, here's why, you know, because of this, that, and the other. And it's all to maintain the illusion of insider knowledge. Right. Um, right. So like well, the one I've been one I've been hearing lately, not that I put my nose into this world very much, but I kind of it, it filters down through social media, people saying that COVID nineteen is going to miraculously disappear right after the election, mm-hmm. right? Because it's all oh, a conspiracy yes. to yes. unseat Trump, and once Biden wins, then COVID nineteen is going to just disappear. And who, who, big surprise because it was all inflated and fabricated anyway. So when COVID-19 in my guess is not gone after November 3rd, they're going to have to backtrack and come up with, well, no, no, they need to keep it longer because this, that, and the other. So there's always a way out of the predictions they're making. Yeah. It's, it's, it's impossible in their minds to falsify. Right. Right. Because there's always an ad hoc explanation Um, and deception it's part of the process. That was a quote from one of the Q followers is that the, uh, um, part of his plan, it, part of his, yeah, part of the master plan is to keep people guessing as to what's real and what's not real and whatever else, which means there's, there's absolutely no way you can reason with somebody who has drunk the Kool-Aid. Right. Right. And they'll just, yeah, they'll just tell you to do the research. Um, why, which, and, and this is obviously the question we want to get to, because when we describe, it, it's so funny. I was I was listening to your episode, doing some some stuff on my own, and I kept thinking, well, isn't it funny? Um, I was watching a comedian last night. I'm sorry, let me backtrack. I was watching a comedian last night that I will not name because this this individual I would not encourage a lot of people to listen to. But he was making the point in Hollywood. He was. Um, he was mocking he would listen to a scientology presentation and he and he just thought it was the dumbest spaceship things and clears and whatever and dumb and idiotic and then he and he sits there and he's like yeah but i believe a teenage woman gave birth without the help of a man to somebody who walked on water and rose from the dead and and that's when he he literally says it as part of his routine like that's when i let religion go it all sounds stupid yeah. And so I was I was reading this stuff going, well, it, it seems like there is, you know, Christianity presents itself in some forms as a conspiracy theory itself. Right. There is a secret evil group. Uh, there are the righteous remnant. God will justify us in the end. Right. That's a lot of the QAnon sort of language and theology, if you can put it in those terms. What um, what do you see as the overriding benefits or why are Christians gullible to this? Like, how does it benefit us to have this sort of, these sort of opinions and do this research and have this way of looking at the world? What makes that attractive? And then are there reasons that Christians in particular seem to be really gullible audiences for this stuff? Right, those those are two different questions. So let's take them one at a time. I think that the, the general appeal of a conspiracy theory is the same general appeal of any meta narrative that explains the world. Hmm. And in that regard, Christianity absolutely is a conspiracy theory. It's a meta narrative. It, mm-hmm. it gives explanation to a world that sometimes wants to defy explanation. So our brains, whether you buy into evolution or you believe it was all just uh, you know direct creation by God, our brains are hardwired to look for patterns. That is how we process information. It's why we love music and poetry. It's why certain art forms are super appealing cross-culturally because our biological framework, our brains are designed to look for patterns. One of the best ways to illustrate this is you can just do a Google search for optical illusions. And there's a lot of them out there where 
Mm -hmm. um, you will see objects or patterns that don't actually exist, but your brain can makes connections where none, none may be. And yeah, there's lots yeah. of stuff out there. It's kind of yeah, fun, true. you know, kind of stuff your math teacher would show you in middle school when you were done with your own homework. <laughs> um, but that's because our brains are designed to see patterns where none may actually exist. So when you look out in the world and you see all these different events occurring, um, they are, on the surface, they appear to be random occurrences of different things. A, a global pandemic arises, right? Mm -hmm. Where hundreds of thousands, millions of people are dying. Right. Um, uh, Donald Trump, out of nowhere, this reality TV star becomes president of the United States. Who would have thought? Uh, Princess Diana gets killed in a car accident in Paris mm -hmm. because of paparazzi. Mm -hmm. and, you know, you go on down the list of just random weird events, and our brains are searching for a pattern. They want to believe that there is a coherent uh, narrative that connects these dots, that makes sense of them. And some people can live in the tension of there's no pattern here. There's no, there's no direct cause and effect between all these different things. And there's other brains, other people who just simply will not and cannot accept the possibility of a random world. Hmm. And they must make connections. They must have an explanation for why things are happening. Hmm. And then they go searching for that explanation. And different worldviews, different religions, different conspiracies, different cults, whatever, offer their narrative. Here's how it all connects. Here's mm -hmm. the, the meaning of it all. And we desperately want that because the thought of living in a random, chaotic world is so terrifying because that means I have no control over what happens. I have no way of knowing what's gonna occur next. I have no way of protecting myself. But if the world makes sense, if there's a narrative, if there's a pattern, if there's a grand story that connects all these things, mm -hmm. then I can explain it and I can predict what's gonna happen next, which means I can control it and I can feel safe. Mm. That is just a general human instinct. Yeah. So. That, that I think is the appeal of these conspiracy theories. I think the reason that we can transition now, why is this particularly appealing to Christians and white evangelical Christians in the United States? We can go there, but let me just pause to see if you have any thoughts on what I shared so far on the kind of patterns of brain chemistry. No, stuff. no, I could not, could not agree more. Um, I, I think that's part of the reason why the latest you know, generations following a particular view of revelation have just sought to piece out in every new, every new world crisis, you know, here's evidence of the antichrist. Here's evidence of the, right. the raptures coming. I mean, it's the same impulse sitting behind all of it. Yes. Um, and, and, in in Christian, in, in certain interpretations of revelation that's given just full imaginative license without any, <laughs> without any, you know, perspective. Um, and, and, and that sanction under the guise of, yeah, that's part of our job is to, is to discern, you know, the secret movings and doings of the antichrist in the world and those sorts of things. Well, so and related to that, more. related to that, I think that, you know, I'm seeing this more among young people. I think it's partly because, uh, there's some well-known, voices and movements that are pushing this, but the growth of um, spiritual warfare kind of frameworks yeah. is really interesting to me. Yeah. And I think some of it is rooted in this conspiracy theory, brain patterning kind of desire. When something happens, we want to know why. You know, somebody gets a bad diagnosis yep. Yep. And, and, and there's no you know obvious genetic or environmental reason for why they got this disease or this tumor or whatever it might be oh, well, it's demonic mm -hmm. or you know your family is facing this challenge or your marriage is facing that challenge and and rather than it can result from one of two things either a lack of desire to take personal responsibility for decisions and consequences of those decisions we blame the devil right the devil made right. me do it kind of thing right, or right, right. when there really is no obvious explanation for why something is the way it is, we demand an explanation, and so we go to the spiritual warfare explanation. Or I'm God. Not saying, God did it. Or go, right, or God did it. Some and, theologies, and yep. What's so fascinating is when you read the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, you, you see some of that at work, but more often than not, Jesus himself debunks those explanations. Hmm. Right, John 9 is a great ex example. Mm -hmm. This man mm -hmm. who was born blind, and the apostles say, who sinned? that he was born blind because in their worldview, in their culture, if you're blind, 
somebody did something to upset God and they're being punished. So who'd sinned? Was it him? Was it his parents? Who did it? And Jesus said, nobody. Or, you know, later on in Luke 24, he talks about uh, that tower that fell and killed some people. And, you know, everyone's trying to come up with the explanation. And Jesus, the people, do you think the people who died were less righteous than the people who lived? Right. Right. So he's, he's basically saying, stop trying to control everything. Stop, Stop trying to come up with an explanation for everything that's happening out there. There isn't always an explanation. And if there is, it's not always available to you to know. Mm-hmm. And rather than offering us a detailed explanation of everything that happens in the world so that we can feel in control, what Jesus is saying is you don't have control. Right. So stop trying and trust me. Right. right. And so in my mind, a lot of this conspiracy theory stuff, whether it's QAnon or it's a, an incredibly detailed explanation, you know, supposedly rooted in scripture about eschatology and the end times and antichrist and all that, <laughs> all of that is profoundly unchristian because it's causing us to put our trust in a theory, an explanation, a narrative of the world rather than in Christ. So let's, before we get there, because that's, yes, that's where we're going to end up is what is, how does this affect the way the world sees us? Um, In terms of, uh, in terms of seeing meaning, yep, absolutely. I think we're, we're so hungry for meaning. We'll even attribute evil actions to God. Um, you know, to kind of back end and justify something. No, man, no question. Do you feel like there's anything um, in the impulse to buy this stuff, to be part of an inside group an in the know sort of group? Um, Cause it does seem, there does seem to be an energy around the, the people who can decode stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the rest of you are duped. We're the ones that really know. Uh, do you think, I mean, do you think that even goes back to some of the early New Testament stuff against Gnosticism totally. uh, and the secret knowledge? Totally. Yeah, for sure. But I think you, if, to take it one step back from there, the core um, sinful human motivation for even that is control. Hmm. Right. So there is something that makes you feel self-righteous when you're in the in-group when Mm -hmm. you have insider Mm -hmm. knowledge, but that insider knowledge is ultimately for the purpose of, I know what's going on. I don't have to be afraid because, Uh, because I'm in control. I I know what's coming next. And the irony in that is even Jesus himself says, I don't know the day or the hour. Right. Right. So Jesus himself as also fully man, not just fully God as fully man was utterly surrendered and dependent on his heavenly father. Right to the point where he didn't know everything that was going to transpire and he didn't want to know or need to know everything that was going to transpire. He knew enough and he knew enough to trust his father. So the idea that we Christians would be like, well, poor poor Jesus had to trust the father. We don't (laughs) because we know what's going on. We've got it figured out. Like there's something really weird about that. And so that's where in in many ways, and this is the original sin, you, you know, Adam and Eve, you eat of the fruit of this tree and you will be like God, knowing good Mm -hmm. and evil. That's the allure of these conspiracy theories and grand narratives is it gives us knowledge so that we feel we're in control. We don't have to surrender ourselves in utter dependence upon God. Come on. Well, I see it. That's the problem here. Yeah. Okay, man, that's good. Um, Because you see early Gnostic teaching, Christians fight against that, the mystery religions. Um, I mean, even the Essenes had this conspiracy theory about the sons of righteousness and the sons of wickedness back in Jesus's day and what was coming. And again, there's there there's this apocalyptic fervor kind of in, in all of it. Um, and I think you're I think what you're what you're getting at, if I could just summarize it, is, OK, why why do things like religion or conspiracy theories, what are, why are we driven to those? Because we're looking for patterns of meaning and places of significance. What's what's safe about those? Why are those things attractive? Why is meaning and significance attractive? Because they help us feel safe, secure and in control. Which is fundamentally at odds with what it means to have faith um, in a, you know, a Jewish Messiah that was crucified. So, um, when, cause I can, I can hear, you know, I can hear people saying, okay, well, this, this doesn't seem terribly harmless. What's the, you know, what's the, why not just sort of let this stuff go and, 
you know, it'll it'll be shown to be false down the road or whatever. Uh, why do you feel like it should address it? And if you we should we should address it, should we address it as a discipleship issue? Well, um, let me ask you, let me ask you this. If you are the leader of a church or a Christian community or a Christian college or a parachurch organization, pick your community. If you are a spiritual leader of one of those things and you found out that the people within your under your care were um, converting to Islam, mm-hmm. or if you found out they were becoming Mormons, or if you found out they were um, denying the deity of Jesus, or if you found out they were becoming branch Davidians or some kind of, uh, you know, comet cult that they're all going to wear Nikes and, and drink some poison or so. Like if you found out that was going on in your community church, would you as a shepherd and pastor be concerned? Absolutely. I would hope so. Yeah. Likewise, I think the QAnon phenomenon and some of these other conspiracy theories that are out there are, are fundamentally false gospels. Hmm that are in direct denial of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can't ignore them, Hmm. right? If they're infiltrating our community and the people over whom we're supposed to be uh, spiritual shepherds, that's number one. But number two, you know, the thing that's so powerful about the narrative we believe is that it will eventually determine how we see the world and how we see our neighbors and how we act toward them. Come on. So, uh, Come on. If if the narrative you're buying into makes you more fearful, more angry, more self-righteous, less likely to to do things that are for the the uh, flourishing and, and goodness of those around you, then you have bought into a gospel or a narrative which is not of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and that's yeah. unfortunately what a lot of the QAnon messaging is. It's yeah. it's not one of love for neighbor and, um, seeking of, of, of mutual, uh, edification. I, I mean, simply going to the, the narrow issue of, of COVID-19, you can see how buying into untruths is actually causing Christians to choose actions that are potentially harmful to others. Right. Yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. So it isn't that they're buying into, you know, they're questioning scientific evidence or they're questioning reports in the media or they're questioning Dr. Fauci or whatever on the service, who cares? But when it comes down to the fact that I refuse to wear a mask or I refuse to abide by these uh, social distancing rules, or I refuse to, um, you know, not send my kids, whatever it is like it's harmful to others. And that's the problem. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and, or, you know, you buy into a theory so much that you walk into a pizza restaurant with AR-15s with the potential (laughs) life-threatening consequences of it. Like this, this matters, this really matters. And we, and that's why truth matters. Right. Right. Yeah. It strikes me, um, because I, I think there, I, I don't think that most folks who are into this or, you know, doing this from a malicious sort of place or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's part of the human impulse to find meaning purpose, whatever. Um, but, but it, it, it does seem incongruous to have a Facebook feed. I, I read this from somebody who, um, it was a tweet that was just like, Hey, you know, science is evil. Uh, there, everyone's lying to us, you know, um, conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy. And so you get the Easter and then they say, yeah, Jesus was risen from the dead. Um, that, that, that does harm. <laughs> that does a great deal of harm to the witness of the church. Yeah. Right. To, to, and, and do you think that just can be attributed to some of the anti-science stuff we were all brought up with in evangelical circles, just yeah. science is you know, I- tight, trying to take us away from God? I think it's more than that. It is that certainly, but I think it's, it's expanded perhaps since the 1980s from just an anti-science bias to an anti-elite bias in every Anti-expert in every area. Anti-expert everything. Um, And to be fair, it's not just Christians who are doing this. I mean, you can see the anti-vaxxer thing Mm -hmm. is mostly a phenomenon on the left. so there, there, there's something just basically human in this that we could talk about why are evangelicals more susceptible to it. And I do think mm-hmm. it is partly because we've been cultivating an anti-science mindset since at least the 1920s. Um, 
we've been cultivating conspiracy theories around politics and and um world events since at least the cold war with yeah. 1948 yep. and the and the yep. establishment yep. of the state of israel and all this dispensational you know you're not supposed to see the newspapers and current events as as face value events but all of it is being con- manipulated by the antichrist or you know the return of jesus or the temple whatever all that left behind nonsense like we've been cultivating that mindset for generations in evangelicalism and then when you put the internet and social media into play where these ideas can be proliferated in minutes rather than over the a publishing cycle of a book and when you have things like a global pandemic and all the political polarization going on so yeah you're not this is not unexpected right you can actually connect these dots and see how we got to where we are yeah tim what what are you thinking as we hear this Uh, or as you hear this i have i had a whole checklist over here of things just in case and you guys are like hitting each one of them (laughs) (laughs) because i we have acquaintances who i'll use that term loosely acquaintances who are part of the big like San Diego church, all the churches crowding the beaches. Like they can't make us not worship. They can't take this away from us. Hmm. And just watching this us versus them mentality that the church clings to, like just with Starbucks with the, uh, a couple years ago with the, um, the war on Christmas. Yeah. Like this, like they're taking it away from us. They're taking this away from us. They're always after us. They're trying to squash us. They're trying to get us down. And then you watch the Q stuff slowly like turn into like, Oh, now he's dropping God all the time. And now he's using Ephesians and saying like, it's our job to put on the armor of God to be like Mm -hmm. the defense. We are the last line of defense against this evil cabal that's coming in. It's just this us versus them mentality is just a wild thing to watch continually. And you know, we are the, we're the targets, we're the persecuted. We, 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 and it's just, it's just wild. Mm -hmm. No, nope. and so so orchestrated and so clear when you watch like the thread. <laughs> it is. It's it's um, and part of it is also I think, I think for a, a fair number of white evangelicals in America, we read parts of the New Testament that speak about the, um, the necessity of persecution. You know, if mm-hmm. the world will hate you because they hated me, you know, anyone who's a disciple of Jesus is going to face person. You read those kinds of things in the New Testament, and then white evangelicals look around and going, "Oh, wait a minute, I'm not being persecuted. I'm not being, <laughs> I'm not being, you know, kicked out of my home. I'm not between." And and there's a sense of maybe my faith isn't genuine because I'm not facing these horrible conditions mm-hmm. that apparently Christians in other parts of the world are, or the early church did. And there's this need to create a sense of persecution in order to validate the legitimacy of my faith. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so we invent persecution where none may exist. So, Mm. well, they won't let us gather in large groups to worship and that's not fair. Well, you know what? They're not allowing thousands of people to gather for a Rolling Stones concert either. Exactly. It has nothing to do with the fact that you're worshiping Jesus. It has to do with the fact that there's thousands of people singing. But John MacArthur would say (laughs) you, you have, cause right. He, he said, yeah, that all those rules are conveniently ignored when it comes to protests. So he called this church gathering a peaceful protest. There and in go. those in the you know, when people are protesting police brutality, they're chanting. Right. Mm-hmm. That's similar to singing. And um, and that's being allowed and tolerated. Why can't um, why can't the church do the same thing? I'm just well, saying that's the response. I know. And it makes sense. I do think there's a problem with thousands of people gathering for protests if they're not social distancing and they're not wearing masks. Or not. Right. The difference is a a spontaneous public protest is a little bit different than a planned um, congregational gathering of people who claim that their greatest mission in life is to love their neighbor. <laughs> Right. Facts. Yeah. Hashtag so, facts. So that's that gets all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount thing, where we as Christians, are, I think, are being criticized by the culture because we haven't taken Jesus seriously enough. Yeah. And number two, the world today and the church throughout history has endured all kinds of scenarios where they haven't been able to gather in large gatherings. Right. We have models of church that don't necessitate thousands of people in a building singing songs. So yeah. to say that this is the only way we can preach, honor God and practice our faith is just <laughs> biblically and historically untrue. Yeah. 
Come on. Somebody, so, you know what? I, yeah. Tim, somebody's on fire here. Uh, and I, I don't think it's the Sky King. The Sky, I think the Sky King is making an appearance. Um, no, I think that's that's absolutely dead on. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you kind of one last question as we close. It, it seems uh, a waste of time to try to go toe to toe with somebody who's really into this. Right. How would you recommend? You know, let's say you've got a family member who's disrupting the the unity in the family, or a you know a close friend that's really digging into this to the point where it seems you know it seems really harmful. Um, how would you? Uh, what advice would you have about? And they're Christians; they claim to be Christians. Um, what advice do you have about about how to address some of this? Oh, that's a great question. I d- I don't have great advice on this one. I mean, there's the avoidance thing where you just kind of yeah. <laughs> shut them down or yeah. block them on your social media feed or whatever. I think if they genuinely, <laughs> if they genuinely claim to be a follower of Christ, I would, and if they are sort of, um, if they're evangelizing you in their conspiracy theory, like they really yes. want to talk about it a lot. Yes. Yes. Uh, I would say, okay, I will, I will give you an hour let's sit down and talk about this or a phone call or video chat, whatever you want to do. I'll give you an hour to talk about this. If you beforehand will commit to reading the sermon on the Mount for an hour and we can talk about that (laughs) and, and that's good. Bring up things like, okay, if, if you're, if you're saying your first allegiance truly is to Jesus Christ, let's talk about how you view your neighbors. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about your, your anxiety, fear, and worry which Jesus yeah, talks directly feeding, about. Is this, right. is this feeding those things or is this? Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. I mean, go down the list of, of those kind, or even just the Beatitudes, right? Look at the types of people that Jesus calls blessed. Right. Versus the ones that you think are like, it's let's, let's put as much energy and emotional uh, investment into following Jesus as you are to following anonymous yeah and, Come on. and let's look Come at what's on. let's look at what's happening in the world today through the lens of the f- faith in christ rather than the conspiracy theory that you might be attracted to hopefully you can deal with somebody who has enough self-awareness where you can get and ask them a deeper question like beyond the truth or falsehood of this conspiracy theory what about it is so appealing to you mm. right why are you drawn to it what is right. it doing for you that normal news media perhaps isn't. Um, although those lines are getting very blurry because I think a lot of normal <laughs> news media is getting into this realm as well. I mean, Absolutely. We, we, we now have elected officials in Washington who openly endorse QAnon, which is pretty yes. crazy. Yes. Um, so yes. like, I, I think you, you, that's that lack of self-awareness to understand what they're really being drawn into is part of it. On another level, I, I don't even think this applies just to like QAnon. I have friends, family, uh, people in my Christian community who are either super heavy into spiritual warfare or super heavy into eschatology and all mm-hmm. the end time stuff. And, yeah. and you can root a lot of those ideas in the Bible, mm-hmm. but I would argue they're not central to the gospel of Jesus, Come on. but they've made them central mm-hmm. in their Christian life. So even in those cases, I want to direct them away from some of these peripheral Christian ideas and bring them back to the centerpiece of it, which is communion with Christ and his call on your life in the world. If your eschatology causes you to fear and hate your neighbor, something's wrong. Even Preach. if you can argue your eschatology is completely biblical, right. or if your focus on, on demonic oppression is causing you to be less kind, less generous, less patient, less loving, something's wrong. So that's where we have to always keep the center on Christ and his calling in his kingdom, even when what's distracting us might be biblical and theological truth. Right. Well, Sky, it is certainly always great to have you with us. I mean, seriously, thank you. Uh, Again, the book is What If Jesus Was Serious by Sky Jatani. Tim Stafford, do you, as always, do you have any last thoughts on the subject? (laughs) (laughs) 
See, but that's not true. I know you have thoughts. Oh, I have a ton, but you guys did a great job. I think this is I think this is just such a fascinating and then a scarily pertinent topic right now. Yeah. In the middle of all this and then just as the elections approaching and you know, you've got what was one of the conspiracies was that Trump was wearing a yellow tie to uh something and they're like well that's the maritime flag for uh saying that a ship that is clean and clear so he's saying that the that there is no yeah. pandemic there is no disease so it's just like as we as everything's getting discredited in this time period it's just yeah you know and, to be extra well, vigilant not to end on a negative note but i think in the next couple months it's going to get a lot worse i agree i think this is going to hit a a fever pitch with for a number of reasons, especially with the election. And I'm genuinely concerned about the church in the next six months um, for multiple reasons, but I, I do think it's going to get a lot, lot worse. Hmm. And that's, that's my conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> there I, know, it I was going to say it's a, it's a perfect storm right now, but then that just takes us right back to the beginning of the coming storm that started this whole thing. With yes. Trump, uh, yes. Yeah, whatever yes, his, yes, whatever yes. his speech was, everybody. His speech was yeah, yeah, surrounded by military people. Yep. Yep. This is the calm before the storm, the calm before the storm. Right. And they're like, what are you referring to? And he's like, Oh, you'll see. You'll oh, see. You'll that see. Was the, yeah. That was Oof. the gates flinging open. Ooh. <laughs> or somebody's just sitting back making, making all of this up and yeah, laughing all the way to the bank. You know, one thing, this is where if you study history, it becomes helpful. A lot of uh, social upheaval in the past, including the Civil War, it doesn't get reported a lot, but we diminish the role that conspiracy theories played in a lot of American history. Hmm. And, you know, it was the conspiracy theory against Abraham Lincoln and the federal government and what was going on between North and South that fed a lot of the paranoia in the South to, to actually break away and declare independence. Uh, there were conspiracy theories during the revolutionary era, a lot of them mm. with mm. with masonry and all the secret societies and things going on that fueled a lot of concern and contempt for England and the and the monarchy and things. So these have always been around, but we've never had a vehicle like social media to exactly. proliferate yeah. it as quickly and widely as as we do now. And mm. it, it, it's scary to a degree because when when a society loses all shared belief in truth, there's there's no limit to what will break down. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and it, it, somebody was saying that this is an um, epistemological crisis. Yeah, there, there's no shared conception of what reality is. Somebody's reality is just a, propag a propaganda machine according to somebody else. Right. And and even those of us trying to make their our way through the extremes, um, see that the water is so muddy, we kind of throw our hands up in the air and say, "Well, they're all corrupt." Yeah, uh, which leaves you nowhere. You, you can only really sustain a a modern liberal democratic society in in an Enlightenment era vision of truth. Yeah, hmm. and That's as right. we get into That's if we get exactly in, as we get right. into a post Enlightenment postmodern view of things you see what's emerging. It's what Nietzsche talked about. It was, it's just will to power and we're going to mm -hmm. see strong men and dictators and authoritarian regimes arise because that's the only way to govern large groups of people who share no truth. Hmm. So it, it's, it is kind of, it makes you wonder if the last 200, 250 years of Western civilization and its um, elevation of democratic liberalism is going to be, an abnormality in human history and are we coming out of that phase and heading back toward an earlier model of just authoritarian mm -hmm. power structures hmm. it may well be hmm. we'll call that sky anon and <laughs> you can read more about it um no 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 that's that's so good dude i mean there's so much that we could keep talking about but i want to really honor your time and thank you for taking some time with us as, as tim said tim's really been talking um offline uh to me about this is like this is a really big deal right now yeah and because i just i just i just don't give those time or people any space at all ever but at the cost of not realizing what a massive failure of discipleship this also represents you know 
So this has uh, been very, very helpful to dig into. And we appreciate you, my friend. No, it's always fun to talk to you guys. And I love what you're doing. I love Vox and hope you keep it up. Well, thank you. We're, we're going to try. Have, have you, I mean, would you ever consider changing the name of the Holy Post to Whoa. the Holy Vox? I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I just want to throw that out there and say, let's just, let's just join forces. You well, know, I'm, like rage against the machine. I, I, I'm all about joining forces. I don't know if we need to do that under the same name, but um, <laughs> I mean, we did change our name once, as you yeah, know. What we, was it? Well, yeah, what was it before? I we forgot. were the Phil Vischer podcast. That's right. That's and that all right. started because way back at the beginning, Phil wanted to do a TV show, which was the Phil Vischer show. And the podcast kind of came out of that as a byproduct because the TV show didn't get picked up. And then it was just the Phil Vischer podcast. And early on, as it kind of formed, Phil realized that, you know, it's, it shouldn't be called the Phil Vischer podcast. Cause I was doing just as much as he was. I mean, it took a couple of years and eventually we did change it. It just became the Holy post. And, and, and so we've ridden that brand now for a while. Um, but you have the interesting dilemma of the fact that there is a large media company called Vox. <laughs> I know, I know. And we're, I imagine uh, they want your podcast name. Well, they have, we're not big enough yet, but all of our advisors, we have a couple of incredible people on our team that are branding, you know, um, marketing experts. And they're like, we, you're going to have to, you're just yeah. going to have to rebrand. You just are going to have to do it. So we're, we've started that process. Um, there's not a lot that rhymes with eerie. And so, you know, we're, we're having a tough time. And then Tim Stafford, you know, he should really be the face of the thing. I mean, if you look at the two of us, you're like, that's a much better face to put on the podcast. Well, you should do what Phil and I did and, and have a, essentially a cartoon version yes. of your face. So you can, yes, no oh, one wants so to look good. right at my face no, and, no. and, or no, Phil's. I, I don't know, man, your face I like it. It's perfect. Bald. It's perfect for bald. And uh, I don't know. It's very, it's, it's pleasing to me. Tim, can I speak for you on that too? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have a pleasingly bald head. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's, so you got, I mean, it, it, I know we're spending too much time on this, but I think you're attractive. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. That's all I care about, Mike. Thank you. Um, that, that made my day. <laughs> Oh, thanks, ma'am. Yeah. All right. Hope you guys are well. Good to see you, Tim. We are. Thank you. Good to see you, too. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast, on Instagram at Vox Podcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.